Overthinking It podcast, episode 17. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. You can email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com, or if you want to leave a voicemail to uh, be played back on a future podcast, call the podcast hotline at area code 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401. I am Matthew Rather, and I am here uh, on the eve of Halloween, not really the eve, on the weekend eve, on the weekend before Halloween, with uh, two other overthinkers, Mr. Matthew Belinky. Hey there. You know, I wanted to ask a quick question. What constitutes a hotline? Like, can any line be a hotline if you say it is? I guess so, right? It's not because no one ever calls it a cold line. What is the opposite of a hotline? I, I guess I would just assume that a hotline is like a line that, like, Somebody, I was gonna say like somebody would always answer, but you know, like like it's like always ready. But that's I don't know. Anyway, it's always hot. Yeah, no. And what does the hotness of a hotline in here? Maybe the internet knows. Let me let me talk to my friend Mr. Google while you're while you're introducing uh, the other guy. And the other guy is Mr. Mark Lee. I got your hotline right here, baby. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna be it's gonna be one of those nights. Welcoming uh, welcoming Belinky back to the podcast after an extended absence. Matt, what were you doing all that time? Uh oh wait, uh, what was well, when I wasn't on the podcast? Yeah, I having, mean mostly having uh, a life. I mean mo- you know mostly just drugs. <laughs> watching watching Mad Men. That was pretty just yeah. I mean honestly, the the podcast recording does conflict with Mad Men, which is like. Or really, it's like Sophie's choice for me. Are you not TiVoing that? Are you, you know? I guess I just don't want to. It's not. It's not as good if you don't catch it yourself. You know. Superman that hoe. I mean, TiVo man that hoe. Yeah, Superman that hoe wasn't really an appropriate reference at all, was it? No, not really. I just. It's uh. something that I say now, uh, going on in life. All right, Overthinking It is the blog about popular culture, or as I, I'm very careful to always say the popular culture, just because I think it's a little more snooty and kind of dick-ish, and I appreciate that. To add the direct, the, the, the definite article? Yeah, absolutely, right? Doesn't it sound a little snootier, rather than just saying we talk about popular culture, to say we talk about the popular culture? Yeah, it distances us from the culture which we're talking about. Right, exactly. You know, like almost like it's like a specimen under like a like a microscope slide. Right, exactly, like the amoeba. Or, you know, as though it's an abstract as though it's an abstract version of an actual thing. Like you can talk about, you know, the good. Not just good things, but like the good as a concept. And in a way we talk about the popular culture almost as a concept. Right. See, I mean like a lot of people just use the, the sort of like nickname pop culture. Yeah, or no, it's important. It's important P- not PC. to use the nickname for me. It's important that we never uh that we never uh use any kind of contraction at all. I'm actually going to go through the whole blog and edit all the contractions out. Where you it's it's like the New York Times where like even when they're talking about like like Hulk Hogan, they're like Mr. Hogan, you know, like German suplex, you know, Mr. the Giant. And <laughs> the match. Did they ever call him Mr. the Giant? I, I assume so. I mean, I wasn't really reading the New York Times back then. Back in the mid '80s, I was more of a Wall Street Journal kind of kind of toddler. <laughs> so, uh, in in the popular culture this week, uh, there were some film openings this week. Uh, New York, LA saw the opening of Charlie Kaufman's directorial debut, Synecdoche, New York. Now, I brought this up in the email that I wrote uh, planning the podcast and on, in the email thread that ensued. Uh, Belinky, you were very dismissive of Synecdoche, New York as a possible topic for the podcast. Now, I, maybe I was naive in assuming that all you guys who live in New York were going to run out and see it. I mean, somehow I feel, and, and I don't want to be like... Too, you didn't, you didn't see it, did you? No. No, 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 I no. Didn't, and, I didn't, I didn't and Mark, see it, but... you didn't see it either, right? And seen it. 
Did right? you... I think my larger point is like I don't think there's like a lot of buzz around it. I don't think there's like a lot of like, you know, crowds that are that are clamoring to get into that. Somehow I don't think it's gonna be like a big hit. Was it do you think it's gonna be like more or less than Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Adaptation? I think the problem with that, with, with Synecdoche, with, maybe I'm not paying enough attention. Do you guys know what it's about? Yeah. It's, it's what kinda, is it about? I, yeah, no, you my talk. Understand, my understanding is that it's about a um, some sort of playwright, I think. He, he wins a some kind of grant, then basically rents a loft in New York City, moves from Schenectady, New York, into New York City um, with this grant money to live in this loft and spend a lot of time writing this play and it's supposed to be really awesome and i think it's about the journey is that correct rather anyone yeah i think he he gets a philip seymour hoffman i think is a theater director who gets a a like a macarthur genius grant and he is estranged from his wife and daughter and he spends many years and a great deal of money putting together this this sort of uber production in a warehouse that attempts to capture the sum total of human experience and is this like you know is this just enormous it's kind of like the truman show except theater all right see this is my point which is that i think the problem with it it may be great but i feel like it's sort of like a very nebulous concept that charlie coffin's other other scripts in 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 the biz we have this phrase called high concept in the biz which yeah which my understanding of what high concept is is that like you say it in like a sentence or two and people are like oh oh, wow that's such a like such a clever idea i totally like you know can understand how that would be like you know like like the matrix believe it or not in in my understanding of what high concept means is high concept because you explain it and it's like oh like everyone is in fact like you know we are reality is just like living in an enormous virtual reality or something like that right and everyone like is like wow i heard of a i heard of a a script of about like uh, a prehistoric shark being brought back to modern times that was sold with a two-word pitch which was jurassic shark Right, like that. That's a good example of what high concept oh. is. Charlie Kaufman's earlier movies, where being John Malkovich is like very high. Con- it's very sort of like conf- confusing. It's not a simple movie, but you can explain it. And it's that like you know, a man finds a mysterious portal, and when you climb inside it, you get to like see the world through the eyes of the actor John Malkovich. And everyone, and, you know, and you laugh, and you're like, "That's crazy! I can't wait to see how that works out." Um, uh, and then uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, once again, it's like there's an invention that allows uh, the memories of a painful relationship to actually be erased. And you're like, wow, I could totally see how like that would be like tempting and poignant and all that stuff. And then and so they're like clever screenplays, but they're like easy to get curious about. And this new one, it sort of seems that like it's vague and it's sort of hard to explain and it may be brilliant, but it's sort of a harder sell. But shouldn't we be, shouldn't we as, you know, high priests of popular culture, as overthinkers, shouldn't we be um, attuned to that kind of material and not be dismissive of it because it doesn't necessarily have commercial appeal? Here's, you know, here's the larger point I want to make about Charlie Kaufman. He's a guy who's working with a great deal of... uh, uh, you know, invention in the form, and yet his movies are entertaining, right? It's not like European movies where it's like watching paint dry and you, you know, you want to kill yourself by the end. At the end of Adaptation, I was like, wow, that was an awesome movie, and even, like, kind of exciting at the end there, and yet the whole thing... Uh, or, you know, Christopher Nolan is the same way. Like, Memento worked really as, a, as an action movie, or not really an action movie, a thriller or something. I don't know. I was thrilled by it, for sure. It was an exciting movie, uh, in addition to being uh, a successful experiment in the form. You know what? Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction was the same way. I, I actually don't think, for me, Tarantino hasn't recaptured that early success though he's made some some fine movies still like you know it was an awesome movie and that these are like these are kind of few and far between and when one comes along or when a person comes along who's capable of talking that language uh both of you know artistic experimentation and of entertainment i think we we overthinkers we few we happy few 
we band of overthinking brothers uh, should... Uh, that, that's your second attempt to like distance us from the popular culture, which we're still scandalizing. <laughs> yeah, well, you, were you the one who sent me the email that the point was yesterday was St. Crispin's Day and maybe we should blog about it? Yeah, I know, but but that's... Yeah, all right. And my answer, my answer was no. It kind of didn't <laughs> belong on the blog because it's not popular culture. Well, but tomorrow... Is, see, yesterday was the feast of St. Crispian, and he that shall see this day and come safe home shall stand... A, no, never mind. I'll finish it later. Who has made Henry V? Like, Mel Gibson... If you'd sent me a YouTube clip of Mel Gibson in Henry V instead of Branagh, no, I might No, Mel Gibson was in Hamlet. You're thinking of... I don't think... Oh, you, you're saying that a hypothetical Mel Gibson, Henry V? Oh, he did Hamlet, right? He didn't do Henry right. V. Oh, damn it. Although, like, I would have I gotten behind a Mel Gibson. I mean, it's got to be somebody, like, young, you know? It's supposed to be somebody who's sort of, like, a vigorous, you know, sort of, like, playboy king, you know, in the, in the John Reese Myers mold. Like, he yeah, could be Henry Smith, even though he's a different Henry. He would be cool if he was, like, almost, almost like um, Blackadder style. That, like, one person, like, did a TV show, and, like, every season he was a different king of England. In no, a se- no one's getting no epi- behind every, that. Every episode or every no. season? No, I think every season. You know, you do like a whole season as like, you know, Henry V, then you move on to whoever was after that. I'm guessing Henry VI, but I don't want to go on paper, uh, on record as saying that. <laughs> well, Henry IV was succeeded by Henry V. Right. We know that. But it's not, the Henrys are not necessarily sequential. It's not like you go through all the Henrys until you run out of Henrys, and then you start with like a different name. There was, I actually saw once uh, advertised a marathon production of some of the hisper- history plays called The Wars of the Roses hmm. uh, that was um, apparently this like whole weekend-long experience that had to be seen to be believed. Wow, so Branagh is the only one... Uh, Branagh is the only one recently who has made uh, Henry V. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's it's not necessarily something that like maybe it's sort of like I, I guess a lot of people the the sort of thumbnail take on it is like it has a sort of lack of complexity that like it's a very sort of like straightforward rah rah go England sort of play. Yeah. And like people nowadays like want their sort of like shades of gray when it comes to drama and not so not such like a jingoistic You mean like a Charlie Kaufman's uh, screenplay? Sorry, uh, try to bring so, it back on home. Something like that. By the way, um I wanted to throw something out there. The way that you described what uh Philip Seymour Hoffman's character was doing, which is trying to produce a massive play in a warehouse. Yeah. Um you know, uh, Charlie Kaufman has only written one thing for the theater, but it was actually performed in a, a place in, in New York City called St. Anne's Warehouse, which is, in fact, a, a warehouse that's been converted to a performance space in Brooklyn. Yeah. So I don't know if somehow, like, you know, and that was in 2005. So Matt, I, you and I went there. Yeah, well, and I don't, think, I don't think for that, though. No. We, right, saw, but I, we, I, saw, a, we saw an adaptation of Racine's Fedre. Yeah, but I, I'm just sort of wondering whether um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I, I guess I'd have to see the movie to to figure out if there was any sort of like autobiographical inspiration for it. Given the fact that it's Charlie Kaufman, there probably was. So rather to get back to your, I guess, well, the point you were trying to raise earlier, which is that you know we as whatever your high priest of pop culture or the, excuse me, the popular culture or of the popular you know, culture. Self-professed, self-professed experts of the popular culture. We have some sort of obligation to see this movie because Charlie Kaufman is awesome and does really unique and excellent work. Well, I think, we have, I think we have a, um, I think we have an, an obligation to involve ourselves. Well, yeah, to involve ourselves in the popular culture. And maybe, you know, maybe this movie isn't your thing, maybe you don't care, you know, something else. But I don't know. Sir, I agree if you, if you I mean to a certain extent I agree if if we're going to come off like we, you know, are some sort of authority on the popular culture, we need to partake in it certainly. Um, but I don't think, you know, aside from really big things like say the dark knight or so there's no like real obligation they gotta see it to partake to partake in the conversation thing i don't really quite feel that with this movie 
And I, for one, you know, like if you're kind of pointing to the the high brown nature of it as a reason why you got to see it, um, I would argue and say that more often than not, I seek out the banal, <laughs> <laughs> the lowbrow um, pop culture to consume. For, for instance, yeah, there. exactly. I was thinking the same thing. For yeah, for for instance, for instance, yeah, for instance. Uh, oh shit! Because you certainly spot. don't. You are. Uh, I. I mean, I won't you call you a snob. Office. You're. Uh, you are a music a a connoisseur. Consumer. Yeah, you're a discerning connoisseur of music, for example. Okay, right? Like, okay. For I don't see for you. Music, I don't see you well, buying Britney Spears' latest album. You don't see me buying Britney Spears' albums, but you don't see me on Pitchfork.com every day getting all of the independent rock and roll vinyl discs coming in i'm still listening to like stone age acdc and led zeppelin yeah but that's its own kind of that's its own kind of sophistication you know like it's the sophistication of the banal i guess maybe that's what is that is that what i'm about i suppose terminator Terminator is sophisticated but it's also banal in in some way i guess I don't know. And I'm See, really I, I don't. I don't like the word banal because it's just too similar to anal. Just, you know, <laughs> that's you why. Yeah, word? that's why you don't say banal. That's why you don't pronounce it banal because right. then you know. But I, baby, but that's I you know it, that I'm was like, not. Eventually, I pronounce it that way. Baby, that was not good sex. That was banal sex, and oh. suddenly oh. you're just you're just running right. for the hills. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. That's I just I don't do banal sex. <laughs> <laughs> Banal sounds really uh, hoity toity when it's it, not uh, what I've heard. Oh! <laughs> uh. If you have to say oh yourself, then it wasn't really that good a singer. <laughs> All my singers not, are like that. Nobody should provide their own rim shot. <laughs> that, should be a, that should be an aphorism. Nobody should provide their own rim shot. Although I did once think that a great product would be like some sort of a keychain that has like a little speaker and like it has buttons on it for various sort of like sitcom sound effects, either like 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 just laughter or sort of like an oh, you, sort of you like know a, they have blinking. Yeah, they pretty much have that. You can download these applications for the iPhone. Um, you just push a button and it gives a or the trombone like. So they actually do have like a soundboard that for the iPhone, right? Yeah, there's one thing that's pretty great. Well, one of my, my favorite one on that category, though, is when you um, it, it uses the motion sensor in the iPhone. When it jumps, it plays the jumping sound from the original Super Mario Bros. game. The little boring sound. Oh, that's cute. That it, me, it amused me a lot for about, you know, 15 seconds of jumping up and down. Yeah, that, and now you worth. turn it, now when you're, like, waiting in the subway by yourself, you just turn it on, right? Just to, And then there's, like, jump up and down. Yeah. You know? Wow, that's actually pretty cool that's I'm, you know it's funny that like i was sort of on the fence about getting an iphone and that actually may push me over the edge that i can be <laughs> i can be mario i mean we could do like we could have a laugh track on the yeah. podcast if you want and like that's not what i've heard <laughs> oh, it's a slow burn is it gonna end yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a it slow burn. Yeah, I could really. Uh, God, you could really annoy people playing with these sound effects you know here was, in GarageBand. You know I was right? always wondering. Can I go off on like a tangent here? No, absolutely like, like, not. <laughs> when they. <laughs> what was that? Was that a printer? I don't know. Yeah, it's supposed was to that be like a cash register. It says cash register, but it's. I want a cha-ching, you know? Yeah, that's that's not what. <laughs> I was thinking, like, let's say that you work for a company that provides laugh tracks, that, like, makes laugh track machines. Uh-huh. Um, how do you think, like, they cast people for a laugh track recording session? I guess they have them come in and laugh. Do you think they're professionals, or do you think you don't want professionals because it'll sound forced? What you want is actual people responding to things that really do make them laugh. Right, exactly. So you need, you need to hire a professional comedian, have him tell jokes and record all the laughter, and then isolate the best laughs afterwards. Right. Right? Well, that's, I mean, a lot of TV shows, a lot of three-camera sitcoms were shot in front of an audience. And they had... A live studio audience. Yeah, they had um, microphones over the audience. Have you ever been to right. a sitcom taping? You know, I, I, I've been to, like, you know, say, like, the Colbert Report or something, and they definitely, like, have you mic'd for hilarity. You saw the Colbert um, Report taped? I did. Wow. Yeah, anyone I, can see it. it. It's free, in fact. It's not, it's not, I'm not that important. 
Yeah, I but too it's, have seen you know, you it. It went, is hilarious. You went and did it. Does he come out yeah. and do warm-up? Does he warm up he the does, crowd he does. before? He answers, he answers questions for the audience from the audience beforehand, and he actually does it like out of character. Like he'll talk about, you know, the guy he is on the show, like you know, not being the sort of like egotist that that he normally is. It's like the one time in the world when like you can actually see him not be, you know, Stephen Colbert. In because he does mark. a lot of public things in character. Right, and and it's which is I think kind of that's the main appeal of seeing the show is that like you get to see him like you know pull back the curtain just a little and like be like a really nice guy who actually like doesn't believe the things he claims to believe. I mean, you know, not that anyone is like really fooled by his thing. It must be tiring to like have to be that guy. I wonder. Yeah, I mean, because you you get a character because you're good at it, but you, you know, you're associated with it forever and ever and ever. And that's, you know, he's probably going to want to stop at some point. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. It's, it's hard to imagine him not doing the Colbert report, but I guess all good things come to an end. Let's not imagine that, that bleak future. Though. Yeah, that is, that is a, um, that is a bleak future. All good things actually, come to an a, end. That actually could be a good segue to the Halloween portion of our conversation. There's the things that scare us. Wait, you're, are you kidding? Are you kidding? What? You're going to talk about the Colbert Report wrapping up, and it's going to be a segue to the Halloween section of our conversation? Do you, do I'm you looking like, at number two, season finales. Oh. Right, you get the memo blinking. Yeah, we got are you not? Do you not have the chat window open or something? Oh no, no, no I, I, I do. I just, I guess, I, I, um, my, my, my segue dar is not as powerful as yours. <laughs> it's my segue foo is mighty, my friend. Segway foo actually rolls out the tongue a lot better than segue dar. Well, this may be this may be a barren source of amusement. We may go on to uh, to Halloween pretty quickly, but you know, as we record this, the finale of Mad Men is broadcasting, so we won't have any spoilers because none of us has seen it yet because we're on skype together i'm betting that people will drink that's my prediction <laughs> i'm betting that people will smoke and have promiscuous sex and look very good doing it did you see you guys don't watch saturday night live uh only I the know, clip john, john ham was yeah. on it yesterday right john yeah john ham was on it and there was a uh, don draper's guide to getting laid or some such. And it was essentially, you know, look good. Look as good as I do. Say witty things like I do. You know, smell good. Be uncannily successful at your job. That's pretty much my guide to getting laid. Is that uh, how you do it? Yeah, you know, look as good as I do. Smell as not good everyone as I do. Can, not everyone can do That's not realistic, though. Do you think you smell good? Do you think, like, Mark, do you think that, like, I am a good-smelling man? No, I shouldn't make that claim. I think my absence of, of, of odor is my virtue in the smell department. Absence of odor. But can absence anyone really know what they smell like? I know, like, right? I feel like you have like a oh. blind spot for your own odor, and so that like I, you can only take the opinions of others. I well, can't whenever, say though, you that. know, whenever like dudes get in my personal space, I always I always think that dudes smell foul, right, when they get too close to me because I'm just not into dudes. I don't like the way dudes they, smell. You I, smell like 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 leather and bronze and musk well this is what i this is what i'm wondering i'm wondering (laughs) to my girlfriend right like do i smell like other dudes smell to me and i'd be kind of horrified by that i want to apologize you know right i'm sure you don't (laughs) no because she's primed she's you know evolutionarily uh predisposed or whatever to like the way I smell as I am for her. Do you think that like if your that's, girlfriend I mean, was that's, like blindfolded in a room with a bunch of guys, she could like detect you by smell alone? Funny story. Oh, let me let me that's kink that's kinky. Gosh. <laughs> I guess. I'm not I'm visualizing it as being like a very sterile like laboratory environment and like not kinky okay. at all. All right. Maybe that's just me. And like uh, everyone is like clothed but like clothed in like uniform sort of jumpsuits. James Joyce was once asked about his relationship with his wife, which was very close. They had a special sort of bond, a very close bond uh, together. And um, his way of describing his particular bond with his wife was this. He said, I could smell her fart in a room of farts. Wow. 
That's actually like really kind of sweet. I gotta. I, I gotta agree. Hand this up. We've had some. We had some pretty killer uh, tangents here. We've gone to Henry V, and now we're at uh, uh, James Joyce and farting. Actually, Matt, okay. So back can you to just say that again. Wait, wait. Can you just say the James Joyce thing again in an Irish accent? Oh, James Joyce. I could smell her fart in a room of farts. That's not bad. Uh, Mad Men is wrapping up. Um, I was wondering if you wanted to say anything about season finales in general. What is it, like 12 episodes? That must be a writer's strike thing. Um, 12 or 13 I, I episodes? I guess they do it, short no, seasons. I think that's standard nowadays. I think, like, you know, American... I think it's The Sopranos that really sort of, like, created that. And it's become the kind of thing that, like... It used to be back in the day you'd produce, like, 20-something... You know, yeah, like, like twenty, like, like twenty three or four. But you know what? Like, they still do. Like the unit does. You know, like network yeah, like, shows. I mean, like ER does and everything. But it's sort of become almost like a prestige thing that, like, you make less of it, and therefore, like, that shows to people that you're making like a serious show because you have a short season that the tells sh- like a very like tight arc. The Shield does that. Rescue Me does that. Damages did yeah. it. I, I almost feel like there's shows that like really aspire to like you know to to be art. Sort of like, uh, like telegraph is intent by having less episodes than like the shows that like they're just like throwing as many CSIs up there as they possibly can make. Right, or Law and Orders. You know, they're just shitting out Law and Orders uh, as quick as they can. Right, but if you're like, no, our season is ten episodes long. That just shows that like you guys are are, are hungry and focused, and each of those ten episodes is going to be like, you know, a little a little uh, snowflake. For me, The King, I got my season finale experience growing up watching Star Trek The Next Generation, which I did Are as a child. Are you going to the stupid Borg one? Uh, there was the Borg one. Yep, absolutely. That was pretty money. No, yeah. I, I, no I, 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 I did call it the stupid Borg and one. And it was, you know, I, spoiler I just... alert, spoiler alert, right? Like, the payoff to that, you know, Riker turns to, to, to the screen where Picard, as Locutus of Borg, has just announced his intention to assimilate the Enterprise, and they've been preparing the super weapon the whole time, and Riker turns and, you know, fires on the former captain. He says, Mr. Worf, fire. Dun, 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 to be continued. And, you know, Mr. Worf, fire, in the in the first episode of the next season, that bit is dispensed with in about 20 seconds. Turns out, because right. Picard knew about the weapon all along, you know... He had already, he, like, disabled it or something. Yeah, he, the Borg had already adapted to it before they even... Uh, you know, before they even... Got to, you know before they even encountered That's what it. They do. Uh, I got I got a, a bunch of questions about that actually. First of all, like at the Borg thing, they're supposed to like eliminate like individuality. How come they all get like proper names? Shouldn't he be like like I am and like rattle off like a serial number? I think Lacutus like means of like nine? yeah, like seven of nine is well, like no, a good right, Borg. But he's name. he's supposed to be the mouthpiece, I think, right? And so Lacutus is from the Latin. Uh, uh, Lokwar, uh, which means speak. Wow, nice, nicely served right the back. Borg, to the me. Borg, yeah, the Borg, and so uh, I think he's like, I think he's saying like, I am the mouthpiece of the, uh, I am the mouthpiece of the Borg. But um, I, I guess my larger point is that like, um, season finales there are like two ways to go. Yeah, which is like you either like finish a large story. Or you like have like a like a monster cliffhanger. I think the the big the, the template for for that kind of season finale is who shot Jr. Right, where people had to wonder like all all summer long, like you know who who did shoot Jr. And I don't actually know to they, my shame. Did they do a similar thing to who shot Mr. Burns on The Simpsons? Yeah, no, it was, that's it was where, exactly that's where that. The Simpsons just, got that. Yeah. Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. And, and and that's the sort of uh, and so the the question is like, um, you know. I don't know. Do you prove of that? Do you feel that like any good season finale should end on like a note of like you know unbearable suspense, or do you feel that like it should end with like a sense of like finality and sort of like you know restart things from like from you know? I, I don't know. Well, I'll make the point that like this, we're talking about sort of heavily serialized TV shows now, right? You're already in the realm of something like. Something like Star Trek or something like Lost. Or actually, no, I'm sorry. It's unusual for Star Trek because Star Trek was usually episodic, right? There was a problem of the week. 
you know, and yeah, there were these threads that kind of developed over time, but they were always relegated to like the C story. And, you know, the A story was a monster of the week. The X-Files, I think, was one of the first shows in recent memory that balanced between doing those episodic shows, those kind of procedural Law and Order-esque shows, and also having, having a, an, big, a bigger picture. Yeah, an ongoing, an ongoing mythology through kind of serialization. And then it, you know, it reaches its apotheosis in uh, a show like Lost, I guess, where it's just all mystery, mystery upon mystery upon mystery, yeah. with no, uh, with no, uh, no real gratification of any kind. <laughs> can I tell? I, I can, can you tell that I'm not really into Lost? Yeah, I got no stun before, just because I feel like it is. It's like Lost is like going on like a date with like a beautiful woman, and you never quite get to the bedroom. Right. Exactly. Well, it's like no. You know what? It's like it's like going on a. Uh, a date with a beautiful woman, and yet on the uh, somewhere on the date, she introduces you to her hotter friend, you know, and so you go out for a drink with the friend because the woman ditches you but leaves you with the hotter friend, but then the hotter friend uh, you know introduces you to another yet hotter friend, and you just keep this this succession of new um new dates and in this never-ending date that never reaches any gratification i guess you said it better and more succinctly right it would, i mean it'd be like, 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 <laughs> i'm like i guess your version is better to which your answer is right what did you expect me to say <laughs> well you could have at least made a gesture towards oh matt i see what you're getting at Right, I, I see. <laughs> can you be slightly more patronizing, please? I, I can probably be slightly more patronizing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, asshole. What's your point? No, no. I mean, I think, I think, I think that that's it about like loss. It would be like if you like, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I I do like that a TV show has a certain balance in it. That like you get you get a sense of like you watched a complete story with like a beginning, middle, and an end, but you also like are building to something larger. And I think that that's obviously it's it's a tough balance to strike. Um, here's a question I mean, about here's I, a question know, about these big macro plots, the big picture type things for something like well, Lost. I like, I like or, macro plots versus micro plots. Let's stick with that terminology. Okay, macro plot um, for something like Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, or Lost, at least, you know, these shows that really, you know, keep on going with this big macro story. Do the writers have that end in mind when, you know, when they start out or they just keep uh, extending, extending, extending as long as the network wants to keep the show running? The, the Lost people have claimed that they do, that they knew from, like, when it started what was going on. Like, not, not that they knew every detail, but, like, they did have a master plan. But did they have to adjust that as the the show continues? No, I think I think they've 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 clearly adjusted. I think they've admitted that at one point they were sort of like uh, vamping a little bit, and they were sort of like trying to extend things a little bit. And that's why like they negotiated and got a deal with the network that they were going to go like three more seasons, and that was going to be it, which really allowed them to sort of like plan more long term, figure out how much story they had to burn through. But if I'm a network executive and I'm hell bent on making as much cash and milking this this uh, this cow for as long as as possible, am I going to be okay with that? Be like, well, no. I, mean, I, I think you're not psyched for it, but I think in a in a larger sense, the cow is J.J. Abrams, and you don't you'd rather that the cow stay on your farm than right. go to another farm where That's... the cow will be treated more tenderly. Is he that good of a cow? I think that, that, that so sweet and well, it, it, it's funny that I think that like his stock has fallen a little bit. The fact is like you know after loss, people thought that like he was the next. I mean, you know, it's funny that like you know that that, that TV. It's hit or miss. There are definitely certain people like uh, like Stephen uh, Botchko, is it Botchko, and David E. Kelly who have like you know they're they're pretty dependable. Not that everything they touch turns to like you know ratings gold, but they're pretty dependable. And then there are other people like uh, Chris Carter had the X Files, couldn't really get another successful se- uh, uh, series out of it. Um, there's even. Um, uh, uh, I'm having a, a complete blank out of the the uh, sorry Aaron Sorkin obviously <laughs> like you know did the West Wing and then they, they basically gave him the sweetheart deal to do Studio 60 and it turned out really not to be worth that kind of the, you know have it, I told it, this joke on the podcast before uh, t- Tina Fey was 
at an awards dinner accepting one of the many awards that she's written for uh, for 30 Rock. And she was wearing a uh, short dress, and her joke was, I hear Aaron Sorkin is wearing the same dress out in Los Angeles, but longer and not funny. <laughs> Which is a... Rawr. Which is funny. I, I want to laugh with her because I really do like Tina Fey and I love Thirty Rock. But I did have a, a weak spot for Studio Sixty. Um, I did also. I I don't understand. It wasn't great. I felt like the stakes were sort of inflated, but um, uh, but you know, that it was still clever. Right. I mean, I, I guess. But my my point about J.J. Abrams is going to be like uh, six degrees. Went thirteen episodes and then like got canceled last season, and I don't think Fringe is doing that great either. Um, so, and 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 not to really criticize him too much because honestly, like most TV shows fail, and especially nowadays, it's very hard to create like a hit TV show. Um, but like J.J. Abrams is not necessarily like you know a surefire thing. Matt, I beg to differ. It's very easy to create a hit TV show. You just uh, get a lot of hot, 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 hot women in bikinis and throw them in a hot tub, and then uh, watch the advertising dollars roll in. And if there's an '80s, you know, if there's a sort of washed-up '80s celebrity involved, you yes, know, for exactly. for who's okay, clearly we're not talking. Clearly, we're not talking about reality television. Um, no, the fiction certainly is. Uh, is we're, we're talking about long arcing storyline plots, and um, if if I can find, if you can point me to, me to the reality. TV series that has a long overarching uh, plot and cliffhanger season finales, um, I would possibly consider thinking about watching it. I would guess. I I say that, like, my super sweet 16 has that, (laughs) but it's sort of a meta plot because it's like the the meta plot is, well, how low will these people sink? You know? How low? And will it, can they sink any lower? Is the cliffhanger question at the end. And when the next season comes on the air, you inevitably discover that yes, yes, they can sink Ah. lower. How many many seasons has this been going on now? Super Sweet 16, I think two or three. Oh my god. I don't know. Yeah. IMDb will will know. And but they, you know what? This is Jordan wrote a a post about this, uh, right? That there's a difference between creating a narrative and creating a successful serial, you know, and that the dynamics of a successful serial are dictated by the marketplace, and the dynamics of a good narrative are dictated by, um, uh, what makes a good story. And this is something that you see in television all the time when things are brought to a hasty conclusion because, you know, an actor is leaving the show or the show is wrapping up or something like that, or things are prolonged, like, or when Sesame Street was totally given over to Elmo, you know, the sad, the sad day, it, these things happen for market reasons. Uh, They don't necessarily have anything to do with, with what makes a good story. And yet you have to make a good story out of them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are definitely challenges to the medium, and I think like the best TV shows manage to like maybe make make um, you know lemonade out of lemons, and the and the the constraints become like a source of strength. I don't ask me to come up with examples, but it sounded good when I said it, didn't it? <laughs> Matt, for example, uh, you're looking for an example of a TV show that like the 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 idea that like it continues indefinitely like they turn that into like something that um was like um boy i don't know i mean I I, know. I yeah, i'm just is- looking i'm i'm just looking to be a jerk you know you don't have to to come up with anything no nah, i don't know but i like i like the challenge sometimes uh, by by the way, I did I did want to as long as we were briefly touching on reality shows. Have you guys seen or at least heard anything about the new Paris Hilton reality show? Which nope. is they're competing to be her best friend. Right. It's it's Paris Hilton's. Uh, uh, what's it called? Oh, Paris Hilton's my new BFF. And and it's funny. Like I don't think they come out and because see he, it. Nicole Richie is out of the scene now. Is that why? Right. Well, that's the thing. They don't they don't see Nicole Richie anything about her on the show. But I feel like she's the elephant in the in the room. The elephant in, like, the very pink room. The extremely um, emaciated elephant in the room. Right, she's the smallest elephant ever. <laughs> she's, um, she's like an anorexifant. You know what, but, like, this this is like a genre of reality shows when, like, 
I don't think anyone in the world believes that the thing that they're supposed to be competing for is like a real prize. I'd say The Apprentice. <laughs> no, nobody thought that like the person who won that was actually going to become Donald Trump's like right hand man and protege. Similarly, I'd say um, uh, Flavor of Love. That like I don't think they thought that like whoever wins that is literally going to like date and possibly marry Flavor Flav. And How do I you know that? Same- I don't know. I think it was pretty clear that like nobody was on that show because they were incredibly sexually attracted to Flavor Flav. Love conquers so many kinds of barriers, Blinky. I guess, but then like if that were the case, then how come they turned right around and did Flavor of Love too? I feel like <laughs> if the show is a success, then, then it should actually eliminate the need for a sequel because Flavor Flav is happy. <laughs> Maybe it's <laughs> all just a ruse. Maybe it's all just a ruse. Maybe he's actually still madly in love with Whatever amazing I, woman he chose. I'm saying that, like, reality shows are becoming like more and more, and I, I know I sound like like an old man talking about them newfangled cell phones, but like I feel like there was at least the the pretense back when we were watching the real world that you were watching something real-ish. Whereas that like I don't think anyone believes that Paris Hilton is actually looking for a new best friend and has chosen to do this via like a reality show. You know, so, like, really, it's a show where, like, they're competing for, like, a fictional prize, and, like, you understand that the only reason that they're doing this is to be on TV, although nobody comes out and says that. So, reality shows, like, uh, culture in general has become more ironic. So, with the, it's, with it's the, the like pictures of Indian Williamsburg, um, reality shows also have gotten uh, more ironic. I mean, you could say ironic, but it's more that, that, like, it used to be that, like, reality shows had to... Um, pretend that they were real and now like people have gotten i guess so used cool. to reality shows that are like more and more ridiculous that like you can all reality show where people are not competing for money but rather to be parents best friend your your point is that that we've entered the baroque phase of reality <laughs> tv programming yeah you know i think i think baroque is a good word for wow. it that there's so much each reality show builds on a whole like the tradition of reality shows that's come before it and so that like I think a show that's like Paris Hilton's like BFF, if you like had no idea what was going on in pop culture and you just watched it, I think you'd be very confused by it because like it doesn't really make any sense. But that like, you know, coming in coming as like a part of like, you know, an onslaught of reality shows which like gradually get like more and more broke. I'm gonna stick oh with God. that word. It's it's like a it's like a logical progression. Yeah. I, I'm fascinated by this idea of equating a Paris Hilton reality show with like um, the fabulous Rococo uh, architecture gilded uh, cathedrals of Rome, for example. This right. amuses me tremendously. Well, so, I wow. mean, somebody defined Baroque for me. The 17th century Rome, um, like extremely ornate, uh, very grand sort of architecture or sculpture. And then there's also, like, there is Baroque music as well. But, like, right. I, you know, I think of it as sort of extremely, I, I guess I use it to, to mean self-referential, you know? Like, that is, like, right. very, very taken with its own, with the opulence of its own concepts is, is the way that I was using it. And not, that, the, that, uh, not the strict meaning out of art history or music. But that is a good uh, description of Paris Hilton, I think, though. Right. right, exactly. Well, I think it's, you know, I think that, like, you know, there there's a kind of TV show that's that has a wink for those who are in the know, you know? And then there's, yeah. like, Liberace, where it's not even a wink <laughs> and you don't even have to be in the know. And yet, and yet the, the charade of having a charade goes on. I think there's a lot to be said about Paris Hilton's my new BFF, and I'm not smart enough and talented enough to say it. Well, we'll have to, you know, we'll have to leave that for another podcast. Speaking of charades, speaking of Liberace and people dressing Ooh, up I, in... Do I sense a, a, a segue? <laughs> what was the word that wasn't Segway-Dar that we decided was better than Segway-Dar? I think Segway-Dar is pretty cool. <laughs> Segway, you see when you pronounce it that way. <laughs> Really bring it up a notch. All right, continue. Um, what are you going to be for Halloween, Matt? 
Um, I'm actually going to be, it's, it's sort of like a boring but heartwarming story that Oliver, I have a, I have a three-year-old son. He's going to be a shark. And so I'm going to be uh, somebody that the shark could chase. I will actually dress as like a sort of a shipwrecked sailor in like a sort of sailing clothes with like a, a, traditional, a traditional hat. Are you going to you know, take like, him, are you going to take him trick-or-treating? Yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna do the whole trick or treating thing. He's what neighborhood uh, do you go to in Manhattan? Yeah, and where do you do that in Manhattan? No, th- there's actually a, an event that the, the Museum of Natural History. You can like pay a certain fee at the door and go in, and they sort of set it up for trick or treating for kids. And like you go to like every room and get candy there. So it's a good thing you that just is- do it indoors, so you don't need to like run around in the cold with your kid. I guess nice. so. Does a, guy, though, does, does a guy in a bear suit give you give you candy, and like, yeah. and then like a, a guy in a caveman uh, costume give you candy? I would like to believe. I obviously haven't been, but like, I'd like to believe that like something they they really like you know try to play up the idea of like you know history comes alive. It gives you candy. Wow, <laughs> that'd be pretty. So it's like night at the museum, and not just not just still, history, right? natural history, like right. like dinosaur skeletons come to life and give you candy. What makes it the museum of natural history? Because there's like a lot of people stuff there too. Like what? Like uh, wars and things like that. I don't know. They no, got like there's a not giant that. canoe up there. I don't know what the deal with it is. A big what? I don't know, they got like a big canoe on the ceiling, and I'm just like, that's not natural. Yeah, but that's those like, things are, are natural. Into a canoe. But those things are considered like phases in human evolution, aren't they? Yeah, I feel I feel like there's a little bit of of um, I don't know if racism is the word, but but is is Western centrism a word? Yes, yeah, sure, West- okay. Western centrism, that's almost certainly not a phrase, but I'm going to go with it. Where it's not like, like, nat- included in natural history is like, you know, all the indigenous peoples of the world that like, didn't write any novels, you know, and like, and like, don't, um, that aren't white. If you're not white, then you're like part of natural history, you know, and you like go in the museum with the whales and the dinosaurs. Yeah, but you know, white people didn't write novels when they were using stone tools either and they're in the museum of natural history right it's like any anyone who is not uh like recognizably so, like european that's not that's it, not it, european or western centric that's um like civilization centric yeah that's like homo sapiens sapiens I, I guess, you see, but, but that's what i don't you know like like i, I i'm because i'm like a hippie liberal i don't want to you know say that like the the native polynesian cultures don't count as civilization they certainly count as civilization. They just didn't produce the kinds of cultural artifacts that we today recognize as cultural artifacts. No, I think I think we do recognize them today, which is why I say like the museum is a little bit old fashioned and like when it was created and a lot of the collection was put it together. I think that like nowadays, if there was a museum of natural history, they might not like put like dioramas of like S- the dioramas of like polar bears. As if, like, you know, there's sort of, like, an exoticism about other cultures, and nowadays there's, like, a tendency to treat, you know, all cultures as equally, like, valid, and not to, like, stick them in the Museum of Natural History like they're, like, like, like they're part of the wildlife of that region. Well, there's, okay, so that there's the association of indigenous cultures with wildness, or with, I guess, pre-industrial cultures with... Yeah, or, or that, like, the, the, the idea of people who live in tents, like, that's part of natural history. Yeah, I guess, and living in houses is part of unnatural history. Right, they're like, if you live in houses, you don't get to be in the Museum of Natural History, because you get to be in a real museum. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I would say that the museum is old-fashioned in that it's a museum, because, you know, who goes to museums anymore? I don't know about that. I feel like museums nowadays, I I hear a lot lot about, like, high-profile architects designing museums... You know, like getting like high profile commissions to I don't I almost wonder if there's like a sort of like renaissance is like the museum is like a big I don't know about that. I have a big I need, museum. It's called, it's called the Internet and I don't have to leave my house to visit it. We, you know, we're, we're going to have to like, reserve that for a future podcast, yeah, which is like, museums, do they matter anymore? You know, we'll, we're actually drifting way off topic. Mark, do you have plans to be anything for Halloween? Well, I, I really painted myself into a corner because just in the office, I was just kind of, you know, shooting the show with some coworkers and was saying, 
wouldn't it be great if I could pull off a Terminator costume for Halloween? Uh-huh. And the idea stuck with me, and I realize it's pretty complicated, but I think I can pull it off. It's going to mostly involve, like, doing a DIY, like, robo arm that I'm going to, you know, have attached to my side. Um, I can't quite so much do, like, the, the face makeup or anything that elaborate. But I think if I can pull the arm off thing, the Terminator thing will go pretty well. Why don't you just, why don't you just wear normal clothes? You know, why don't you just wear normal clothes and be a Terminator who's not wounded at all? Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm just that you know, good at infiltrating human society. By the way, Mark, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say you're very excited for the Christian Bale Terminator movie next summer. That is correct. I believe you could call me a Terminator fanboy. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that like, you are... Really? Is it Sarah Connor Chronicles that turned, you, that turned you, or were you a Terminator fanboy always, and it just it, you're out of the closet now? It was always. I was really stoked to see Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. I was, I was, like, I was out there like opening weekend oh, dude. with that. Granted, you know, pretty disappointed by it. Um, but yeah, yeah, no doubt. I that just latched on to Terminator somewhere. That must have been heartbreaking years. for you. Not so much. I mean, it was like kind of reminded me when I saw uh, Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace, where you walk, you're in the theater. It's so much spectacle and blowing up and things that you want to see that are in your pop culture universe. You walk out of it like, oh, that was okay. You know, it wasn't as good as the original stuff, but it was okay. And that's how I felt coming out of Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. Only much afterwards, after much uh, introspection and much watching of the james cameron commentary of terminators one and two yeah i've seen them it was only after those uh, those uh you know over thorough overthinking it did i realize that terminator three was, was such an abomination do you yeah. watch commentaries uh, as a matter of course like when you uh if, if it's a if it's a terminator movie yes i do but when you rent a dvd normally no 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 yeah I, I can't be bothered to do that. Although th- there is there is one that I've always wanted to hear that apparently on the DVD for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, there's a commentary track which is just Hunter S. Thompson by himself. Oh wow! And it's apparently like amazing. He spends like the whole commentary track raving about what a terrible movie it is, and at one point actually calls Johnny Depp on the phone and yells at Johnny Depp <laughs> during the commentary track. That's great. This is I'm not I can't wow. promise. I just like heard a rumor that like it's the most amazing commentary track ever recorded. I I will say I really enjoyed uh, the commentary on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and it's Robert Downey uh, and Val Kilmer. Uh, Shane Black? No, he's not on it. He's not on. They do one. The two of them do one together. He, Shane Black may do another one, but the one that I heard was the two actors, and they were great together. They were like uh, uh, like a buddy cop. They were just bantering, and they would tell. They had like in jokes, and they would tell amusing anecdotes and. Things like this, and you know, it was great. But we're way off topic again. We've drifted so far from the topic, which was, you know, I, I don't know. And <laughs> we've been talking for a Halloween. while. Halloween costumes? Halloween? Yeah, well, Halloween in in general. You know, I heard that nearly 65% of respondents to one particular survey nationally said that they would celebrate Halloween this year, and that that is an increase of nearly 6% over the previous year according to this uh according to this particular study that was done what do you think accounts for the dramatic upsurge in uh people being observant in halloween i think maybe just more people are converting to paganism right you know that like people are are finally finding the one true faith and like worshiping uh wicca and then now they're they're getting serious. You think, yeah. but you don't, you, you, you weren't going to go with like the uh, the financial crisis that like in these troubled times, you know, people need a source of of amusement oh, and distraction. Free candy. Is that, like, people can't afford to buy candy. <laughs> that for that could be the only nourishment that those people have all week. <laughs> right. That they're like Timmy. We need to really trick or treat hard this year because like that we need to be able to go on that food for a while. Mark, what do you think it is? Uh, I think. Well, actually, it seems like Halloween falls on a Friday this year, so it's you know it's on a weekend, so it's more convenient to to dress up and go out as opposed to being like on a Tuesday. Uh, no, yes, no. No, I guess I guess you're right. Oh, I just spoiled the fun for everybody. That, that is not that is that is terrible overthinking. That's just no. thinking. You know what you did right there was an example oh, of I- of merely thinking. And not no. overthinking. And the fact that mm. you are most likely correct 
does well, not certainly correct. Yeah, 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 sometimes you're... the right answer can be the wrong answer. <laughs> sometimes the right answer can be the answer that sucks the joy out of life. Guys, I'm um, I'm sorry, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna make up for this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna rent uh, the DVDs for the Wire. Stay up all night watching them and write something really amazing hey, about it. Hey, you know, how- Matt, that's a show that you should watch. You really should watch <laughs> The Wire. It's such a great show. All right, for, the, for those of you who, who don't know this, I have a pet peeve, which is people telling me that I should be watching The Wire and how it's the best show on television and possibly, like, the best thing produced by human hands since Michelangelo died. The, the and, best. And I'm, I'm sure it's good. I've never seen it, and I'm sure it's awesome, and I'm the sure be- one day the, I'm going to see it. The best work and, of and- dramatic art of the present millennium. Right, and it's right, which I guess it's just that and Crank really competing for that number one spot. <laughs> do you think Joyce has been moved your, out of the. Does your hatred extend to all uh, television show evangelists? I mean, I, I guess for the most part, it's like. I don't, it's tough to say, like, like, it's not that, like, I don't feel that people should be able to tell me, it's like, wow, you know, I've been watching this show and I've really been enjoying it. But at the same time, it, it can definitely be annoying. I mean, the, the ones that get in my nerves a lot, and I think I'm not the only one, is Lost in Heroes. Is people trying to tell me that, like, Lost is, like, it's such an amazing tapestry, and, like, I'm, like, really punishing myself by not being a part I know. of the phenomenon Have you- which is Lost. Have you accepted J.J. Abrams as your personal lord and savior? <laughs> exactly. Because I have. Evangelism is like, a, is like a good comparison because it's like, you know, everyone has like a religion, you know, or, you know, not everyone, but the people who have a religion, you can respect the fact that they have it, but you, it's a really awkward situation when they try to like convince you that their religion is the best and that you should really come with them. You know, like, like inviting somebody to like come over and like watch heroes with you is a lot like inviting somebody to come to services with you. Is that like, they're going to know everything and you're going to know nothing and it'll be really awkward that they're going to care about it a lot more than, than you are. Yeah. Well, so, if you don't, if you don't speak Hebrew for sure. Right. It only works exactly if, if the person you're trying to convert, quote unquote, is agnostic or not religious. Um, you know, if you're being a, a, a evangelizing for a TV show that you like, you're essentially trying to convert someone who's unaffiliated. It's not like a zero sum game where. Right. Right. That's the difference. Like, you can't have multiple religions. You can't be like, oh, I'm like, you know, like, like I got Methodism on Tuesdays and then on Wednesdays, oh. I like, I like record, you know. Does, like, doesn't uh, Jews for Jesus kind of count as a multiple religions? I get I'm not. Really, I'm not really being serious. I'm not really being that to me one day. But um, but yeah, like like I guess that's the big difference, which is that like you can like multiple TV shows, but you can't really. You can. I suppose you can like multiple religions, but they frown. You can them. like multiple TV shows, but there is certainly a limit. Unless you really, really watch a lot of TV all the time, and your TiVo is just constantly churning, and you're staying on top of like. I don't know, eight shows or so. I mean, the only show that I watch regularly is Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles. I don't have the, either the time or the, really the will to, to really stay on top of anything else. Which, by the way, is an awesome show, and you guys should all see, and accept Sarah Connor as your personal lord and savior, which I have. You know, you know what's a great show, Matt? It's The Wire. Right. You really should, <laughs> you really sure, should watch this really show. Is, I guess... <laughs> So, I mean, I, I guess to some extent it's like, yes, you can tell me what your favorite TV show is, but, like, maybe just once. And, like, after you've, like, made your case for The Wire, like, you shouldn't then, like, you know, continue to to threaten to... There was actually a great piece on McSweeney's that I really liked. Basically, a lot of the lines of, like, somebody was, like, taking all their friends and family that had not seen The Wire and locking them in a room and refusing to let them leave until they watched every episode. And not only that, but, like, they had, like, quizzes after every episode to make sure that they were paying attention and really understood everything that was going on. <laughs> and that's, that's how I feel... That, that like some some people really would like to do is that like not just like tell you to watch the wire but almost like force you to watch the wire if at all possible. Thank you. Yeah. Come watch come watch Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles with me if you want to live. I've, I've got to say that like I've seen it and I don't want to get into an argument with you here, but like I wasn't really impressed with like the one episode I actually watched. I want you guys gonna, to get gonna, into an argument. Get into an argument, please. I think it's best safe for a different episode actually, and so we need Jordan here as well because he's really been on top of this, that show as well. And there is just a lot of ground to cover in that. But like, let me just 
ask you this one thing. You don't think okay. the fact that like the outcome of the series is preordained is sort of like takes away any dramatic like you know John Connor will not be terminated. So all the episodes where they're like, oh no, the Terminator's coming to get John Connor and nobody's there to save him. You know I, I disagree. That's not gonna I disagree. Happen. You, you know that's not gonna than- You know that's not gonna happen, but also you don't know exactly how it's gonna play out. If they're gonna show them preventing Judgment Day or if it's going to, Judgment Day is just going to come and just, you know, judgment all over, nuclear fire, hellfire everywhere, and they lost. Um, or if it's some kind, of kind of like vague in between kind of thing, like the end of Terminator 2. That's what I think kind of the, uh, every Terminator story that's told is driving you towards that, the unknown future, which everyone is trying to influence, but at the end of the day, can't. I, mean, I, I guess that no, I guess I guess that makes sense. But it's just like the fact that they're like currently working on a movie. I don't know. Then you can know also I, I know, no, no, time travel it. things, which is like there's the the Sarah Connor Chronicles may actually take place in a different timeline than like the upcoming. Uh, what what is it called? The the, the Christian Bale movie. It's Terminator like, Salvation. I right, think. like that that may like not be a direct sequel to the events in Sarah Connor well, Chronicles. Really. My my one biggest le- and le- legitimate beef that I have with the Sarah Connor Chronicles is that it's made time travel way too easy and commonplace. There have been uh, a probably like solid baker's dozen of either humans uh, or Terminators who have been sent through the time portal. Uh, apparently you can, and it's recently revealed in one of the episodes, that apparently you can just kind of bribe your buddy and he'll send you through the time portal. Bribe, bribe That's how it works now. What's currency in the future? Uh, uh, you know those those human skulls because they seem to have a lot of those in the Terminator they universe. Sure, they're like so, all I suppose they it would definitely be like an inflationary economy for yeah. For <laughs> okay, maybe that's not a good example. All right, I think it's about time to wrap it up. We didn't get to the main thing that was on our agenda, which was zombies. Just gonna have to write about it, right? Yeah, we're gonna write about zombies on the blog. Uh, this week. So, for our parting shots, uh, you have any picks, uh, Mark? Speaking of zombies, yeah, um, overthink this. Yeah, if you if you consider yourself at all an overthinker, uh, particularly of the horror and the zombie arts, you really owe it to yourself to read World War Z. And Belinky, I'm sorry for kind of stealing this a bit from you because you introduced me to this book. Um, <laughs> it is a fabulous read. It is incredibly well written. You will enjoy it if you even have a slight interest in zombies or brains or the apocalypse. All these things are are good fodder for for World War Z. Cool, yeah. uh, and it's I, it's told in like a faux documentary style, right? Right, like an oral history. It's it's, it's told as an oral history <laughs> of the of the zombie wars after the zombie wars. Oral. I'll actually tie it into current pop culture, which is that um, the the Brad Pitt production company, I believe, bought the rights to this to the um, to the novel, and it actually has been adapted into a screenplay written by J. Michael Straczynski, who uh, geeks will know as the guy behind Babylon Five, but then the entire world will know as the guy who just wrote Clint Eastwood's new movie, The Changeling. Like J. Michael Straczynski is an interesting guy, which is like he literally like went from like writing like the Amazing Spider-Man like comic book series to like writing like you know Academy Awards beat. So he's sort of like a hero of the of the nerd world. Yeah, speaking uh, of heroes of the nerd world, do you have a pick? Matt? Uh, no, I have, I have a pick. Yeah, but, you uh, go. Um, if you guys will go on Google and type in RoboCop and Unicorn. You will find an amazing Flickr photo stream. It is a photo stream of just pictures of Robocop riding unicorns. And we will have that. We will put the link. It is, um, uh, these are amazing, uh, amazing images of like really majestic looking unicorns and a really majestic looking Robocop. Um, and like a, like a, 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 are you doing it right now? This is blowing my mind. It is. It's it's amazing. In fact, I, if I were you, rather, I would have gone first because there's no way that you're taking top this pit. So, um, and I love that like multiple people stickers. have contributed to it now. Like Wait. anyone can. Like this, if you guys, if anyone is, listening is an hey, artist, a meme is born. So what do you think? Yeah, rather. Well, my my thing. It's topical. It's not really. I was thinking of actually making Mad Men my pick, just because you know I think it is a great television show, but that seemed a little weak. So my um. My pick is a uh, track, an audio track, that I'm going to find a link on the internet somewhere to, 
and uh, link it up for you. That is um, Lisa Loeb singing a song that she either improvised or wrote very quickly about Halloween. Uh, the best line of which is uh, wearing cat ears on your head with a slutty outfit does not make it a costume. There are many who would disagree with that. In the uh, in the song, does the way she's singing? Yeah, I think it's just it's kind of moaned. It's kind of moaned and wailed in a uh, the costume. Yeah, exactly right. Like (laughs) so, uh, I'm here with Matthew Blinky and Mark Lee. I am Matthew Rather. If you want to get in touch with us, email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com or call the podcast cold line. Uh, which is 203-285-6401. Visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, the blog that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Yeah, I'm I'm disappointed that we didn't talk about zombies at all, but we have a whole series planned about zombies, I guess, so it's... Yeah, no, it's not the hugest tragedy. <laughs> There's RoboCop firing his gun <laughs> and a unicorn firing a rainbow out of its horn. Oh, yeah, that is so great. Hey, everybody, it's Rather again. So, when we had finished uh, recording the podcast... We stayed on the line and had a little discussion afterwards about the direction the podcast was taking, part of which I caught on tape. I had fun, uh, but I have to come out and, and, and be in firmly in the uh, scale back the tangent camp. But at the same time, it's like it's it's fun and, and in a way, like maybe one of the appeals of the podcast is the fact that like we do sort of like go in strange directions wrong with it. It's true that since we abandoned the single-issue format, like the Iron Man or the Dark Knight or the Indiana Jones episodes, and gone more to a roundtable format, we've seen an increase in digressions and a more freeform conversation that goes off in a number of directions. Since we're doing the podcast to entertain you, let me ask, is this an improvement? Do you want to go back to the old way? Are there too many digressions? Too few digressions? What do you think of the podcast? We want to do a show that you want to listen to. So email us your thoughts at podcast at overthinkingit.com. Thanks.